Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. You are now tuned in to the Jags Den Podcast, the official podcast of the Jaguars Wire, brought to you by USA Today Sports Media Group, and also the number one Jaguars podcast on the airwaves. Hey guys, this is Phil, your Jags Den Podcast host. The first part of this episode is going to be the interview with former San Diego Chargers slash Los Angeles Chargers linebacker Kyle Emanuel. And then followed by that will be the episode that Jay and I recorded earlier in the week. So we hope you enjoy it, and thanks for listening. True crime lovers are always looking for new and engaging content. The Already Gone podcast covers stories from Michigan and the Great Lakes region. Cases you haven't heard before, like the Mayo Hunters or the murder of 16-year-old Justin Mello, plus better-known cases like the death of Jane Bashara and Illinois' own Lori Dan. Already Gone started in 2016, so there is a big back catalog for you to enjoy. Find Already Gone on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or your favorite podcatcher. All right, guys, and uh, as a really exciting part of the Jags Den podcast this week, Jay and I are super uh, excited to bring on a guest here. Former uh, Chargers linebacker Kyle Emanuel has been uh, gracious enough to join us here this week. Kyle, thanks so much for coming on. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Can't complain, man. I don't know about Phil. Yeah, you know the season's not going as well as uh, I think all of us had hoped, but uh, right, yeah, <laughs> you know we're we're rolling with it. So, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I think you could say the same thing for uh, for Chargers fans out there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, we. Uh, oh, sorry, Jay. No, <laughs> no, nah, nah, I was about to say same record and everything. So I I know they're going through it too, man. <laughs> But yeah, we're excited to talk to you about the, this game uh, this, that's coming up this weekend. So we'll get right into a few questions we're excited to uh, to discuss. Uh, we'll start here with the first one uh, here, Kyle, since you have firsthand experience. So uh, one of the things that's talked about a lot here uh, with the fan base in Jacksonville is just supporting the team during difficult times over the last decade, really, for, for Jacksonville. Now, the Chargers are kind of going through a similar situation, but uh, more so to establish a new fan base in L.A. Um, because there is so much to do there. Um, could you discuss what you think the Chargers need to do to maybe expand their fan base in that specific market? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I've been asked this before, and it's something that uh, I think I really think it's going to be extremely difficult. I mean, you guys know this, but there's just so much in LA, and, and not even from just the other things to do outside of sports. But you look at sports teams; I think the market is saturated. Personally, I know LA is big; it's the second biggest city in the country. But you look at uh, UCLA, USC; you have two of everything from soccer to baseball to basketball to hockey to football. I mean, you have two of everything, so. There's there was already an established market there, and now the Chargers are coming from. I think you know the Rams have it a little bit better because they were there, and they're coming from St. Louis. Um, Chargers are coming from just down the road in San Diego, and San Diego and LA are they're very close to each other, but they don't necessarily like each other. I almost feel like they're rival cities, or at least that's kind of what I um, 
that's kind of the, what the vibe I got when I when I was living out there. So I think it's going to be difficult. I mean, and you know, that's a long way to say the easiest answer is to win. And that's I think that's really the only way uh, you establish uh, a really good fan base in LA. Phil, you still? Yeah, yeah, I'm still. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So like like we said, you know, a little bit of a of a different um, a different situation over here in Jacksonville, of course. Uh, you know, not having a winner in so long. Um, but, but what I think the one thing that's consistent between both what you're saying and what Jay and I have been saying over here is that if you win, that makes a huge difference. And, um, unfortunately for Jacksonville, that hasn't been the case over the last, like, guess, like guess 10, 15 years, uh, other than a couple of off, uh, off, off chances that we, uh, take advantage of the situation. Um, but yeah, Jay, why don't you go ahead and get into the, uh, the next question? Yeah. Yeah. So as we kind of spoke about beforehand, uh, you spent some time with former Jazz head coach Gus Bradley, uh, who's a nice guy all around. Uh, and I mean, he can light a fire under you, too, on the defensive side when he has to. And you also went to North Dakota State uh, like him as well. And we talked about that beforehand and how it's a lot of alum uh, around the world. And not only that, just, uh, you know, fans in general of that program. But uh, could you talk about him and how playing under him was. And uh, also one other thing is uh, the Jaguars run an identical scheme because basically they have Todd Watch, good friend of Gus Bradley, still here. So they do some di- uh, some identical things and uh, some some things schematically that are the same. Uh, if you would, I don't know if you watched a ton of film on the Jaguars defense, but I think it would be better to come from you because you probably can explain it a little better to the fans. Uh, but if you have seen film on the Jazz defense, can you – uh, pinpoint like in your opinion exactly what's going wrong uh, being that you have played under this scheme and uh, know the ins and outs of it yeah that's another good question I mean first just to touch on Gus um, and I think you know most people who have met him would agree with me but he uh, and you touched on it a little bit but he, he can light a fire in you but he he's he, to me he was the best coach I had at least when it came from a mental standpoint every coach mm-hmm. that's in the NFL is there for a reason and they they understand X's and O's um, but Gus really understood um, just how important the mental side of football was not just when you're on the field but off the field and your mentality and how you attack things so you know he's a he's a great guy someone I've been hearing about you know since I was in college one of the, you know he was he was the defensive coordinator for the Seahawks I believe when I first got to NDSU so someone I heard a lot about and someone I had a ton of respect for and I felt very fortunate to play to play under him um you talked about the defensive scheme I haven't watched the Jags a ton this year I've seen them a little bit but you are right you know they, they basically run the same system when you used to, we used to watch a ton of Jags film when we were learning Gus's system and mm-hmm. to me when you when you look at this I mean it's it's the basic uh four under three deep cover three um uh, you got a hook drop uh, in the middle of the field and a lot of times in this defense you're going to be able to give up the underneath route because you have those four under guys. Um, the checkdowns, the running back are going to be a lot. So when I look at this defense, first and foremost, you have to tackle. And if you're not tackling well, um, there's going to be some issues because you, you're you're basically baiting the quarterback into into throwing those underneath passes, and uh, and you're trying to take away the deep stuff. You also like the cover three. I know Gus liked it because you you always have a safety down in the box, so it's it's supposed to help um, against the run. So another so obviously if you can't tackle passing game, that's going to be tough. You have that eighth guy in the box um, to stop the run. So when you're not stopping the run, that's also when you run into issues with this defense. 
Yeah, that sounds about right because the Jaguars haven't been able to stop the run as of late. And, I mean, granted, they're missing some guys like Marcel Darius and, and will be missing Miles Jack this time around because he went on IR. So, yeah, a lot of what you said makes sense. I mean, and that's a lot of what I gather is that, you know, you have to come up and make tackles in this scheme and, and especially with the short stuff. And, you know, the Jaguars have missed some tackles uh, early and often in games, uh, which hasn't helped them out in, any bit uh at all so uh, also i wanted to ask you any uh do you have any good gus bradley stories that you want to tell us while we're on the air (laughs) (laughs) oh man uh well it's funny i don't really have that many gus bradley stories but gus bradley himself is a storyteller so if (laughs) uh every single game um before a game he comes with a story and it's funny because some of them you you know that they're just not true and some of them are true to a sense (laughs) but it's basically like a it's kind of like a motivational story but it can kind of go uh in in so many different directions and i i can't think of one off the top of my head but um they were always fun they're always entertaining and they always had a good message at the end so he he was quite the storyteller um especially the night before a game yeah, it's funny you mention that because he he's always been able to kind of uh, pull your tail, if you will, in terms of uh, storytelling. I can remember this story by Mike Mayock, who is now the GM in uh, with the Raiders, but he used to be with NFL Network. And I can recall the story. Uh, it was the year that Johnny Manziel entered the draft. And, you know, everybody was wondering if the Jags were going to take a quarterback, this, that and the other. But uh, the secretary buzzed in on the intercom to Gus to let him know that Mike Mayock was coming in uh, for an interview for NFL Network. And I will never forget Mike Mayock talking about uh, walking in Gus's office and being like loud on the phone saying, all right, that is it. We're going to take Johnny Manziel to kind of throw him <laughs> off. So that is the one story like uh, that kind of correlates to some of the stuff you said that, you know, Gus knows how to kind of like uh, get under you, if you will, and mess around with you and poke fun at you, if you will. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think a lot of the fan base, if you if you ask them now, of course, we're, you know, the, as far as the results, you know, we were disappointed, but everybody in the fan base pretty much has positive things to say about about Gus around here. I mean, he, every time Jay and I, when we got to interact with him, he was always, you know, a blast. So I'm um, happy to see him, you know, uh, of course, uh, just landing on his feet and, and still continuing to have uh, some success. Um, but we'll transition into the next question here, Kyle, and uh, it relates to the quarterback uh, position. We talked about this before we started. You know, we got Chargers and the Jags have the same record, and some people have said because uh, it's because Philip Rivers is regressing. So what's your take on that? And if Rivers isn't the problem, then what do you think? think it is and i've also heard you know rumblings in the within the building that maybe some people want to go to tyrod taylor what's your take on that whole situation as at quarterback well to me and i'm you know obviously i'm not in the locker room anymore but philip was the uh undisputed leader um the guy that everyone looked to um in the locker room my four years with the Chargers, it was, it was undisputed he was he was the guy so i mean i I mean, I don't know, but I guess I could see people rumbling, you know, maybe we want Tyrod Taylor just because he's more mobile. The reason Tyrod Taylor would make sense if you went that way is just because, to me, the biggest reason has been the offensive line is struggling. When you have a guy like Phillip Rivers, he carves you up with his arm and his mind, and he's not mobile. Everyone knows that. Um, but he's he he does so much for this offense at the line of scrimmage that uh, it really goes unnoticed. And something I don't even know exactly what he does. I just know he does a lot because I've heard it from other guys, and obviously I saw it in practice for four years. Um, so I don't necessarily think it's Philip. I think it's when you have a guy like that, 
you have to protect him. You he's not going to run away from from pass rushes. He needs a little bit of time, and he does a really good job. I think of you know, there's still times he's very decisive. He'll get the ball out quick. Um, but I, I mean, he'll tell he'd be the first one to tell you he can't turn the ball over four times um, against. I believe that was the Chiefs uh, three times against the Raiders. You know, so uh, he's got to be better protecting the ball himself. But to me, the offensive line. Uh, is the biggest issue and you know and that's not all on on you know management it's not all on the guys out there they've had to kind of piece together um, an offensive line with some of the injuries they've had throughout this year yeah and it seems uh um it, it's it's kind of interesting you know it seems both teams are having a little a uh, little bit of an identity crisis at, at quarterback of course here with Nick Foles and, and Gardner Minshew and then everything that's going over there uh, um, as far as the uh, as far as the charges go do you have any uh, since we are talking about quarterback I'll just fit this question in here uh, do, you, do you have uh, any kind of in, uh, input in terms of what's going on with Foles and, and, and Minshew and do you think it's the right decision for the Jags to, to switch it up uh, yeah that's uh that's interesting um I guess easy answer is no I I guess I don't think so just because of what you paid the guy, right? You, this was supposed to be your right. franchise quarterback. You know, this is the the one piece, kind of like the Vikings did a couple of years ago. Like, hey, we just think we're we're missing a quarterback, you know, with Blake Bortles um, not being the greatest quarterback in the league, uh, to say the least. Uh, you bring in Foles, like, hey, we think this is the answer. You pay him all this money, and you let him start three games. He's coming off an injury. I know he didn't look good. Um, it was an understatement in those three games. But I just think you, you gave the guy way too much money to give up on him after three games. Um, I, I get it from a sense of like, hey, you know, maybe our offensive line is struggling a little bit. Nick Foles isn't mobile like I was just talking about with Philip Rivers. Let's see what Minshew can do. Let's see if we want to keep this young guy around. Maybe he's our future. I get it from that standpoint, but uh, I just don't think, you know, Foles was given enough time coming off an injury. Um, but, hey, you know, I could be wrong. I think it's uh, – I think it's a great opportunity for Gardner Minshew to, to kind of show that he belongs in this in this league more than just a, uh, a backup. Yeah, pretty interesting dynamic going around, all, uh, going on all around on, on, on both sides. So it'll be interesting to see how things pan out. Uh, Jay, uh, go ahead. So, yeah, my question is we're going to go to the defensive side. And, uh, you know, when you look at this, the numbers, um, at least against the pass, this defense is very good. Fourth in points allowed, uh, fourth in yards allowed, and, and fourth against the pass. And a lot of that is due, of course, to the duo of Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa. Uh, and then you also have Casey Hayward, uh, who's a damn good cornerback himself. And also, he's a guy that's from uh, my home state of Georgia. So, shout-outs to him. He's from Perry. So, uh, I've seen a lot of film on him as a, a high school prospect as well. Uh, but, yeah, could you uh, just talk about um, the the defense in general and their playmakers? And also, what do you think are, like, the weaknesses of the defense? Yeah, I think this defense actually, you know, given that they're only four and eight, has actually played pretty well this year. I I think you know if you look at a weakness, um, they haven't always been great against the run, um, and I just think you know in key times, and you could say this for the offense and defense, in key times they just haven't been great. Um, there's been, you know, it's the, the Chargers have lost all eight games by seven points or less, I believe, and in probably at least seven, six or seven of those, you know, the defense is out there um, with a chance to win the game and can't put it away. Or, you know, now the offense has a chance. We saw it last week at Denver. The offense actually does a good job of, of tying the game, and then one play later, boom, Broncos throw one pass, get a pass interference, and uh, they, they tie the or they end up uh, winning the game. 
So I just feel like in key moments, you know, they've they've haven't found a way to get off the field, and that's what kind of what the NFL is. You have to find that those one or two plays, or maybe it's one drive, uh, to be the difference when when games are going to be that close. Um, you you mentioned all the playmakers; they have some talent on that side of the ball. Um, it helps getting Derwin James back, who was who was out for the entire season up until last week. And Adrian Phillips, also another guy, kind of flies under the radar, but someone who did so much for us. He's a safety, but he plays linebacker. He knows the defense in and out. So I would I would even see this defense, you know, I know probably not playing for much at this point, but uh, kind of continuing to, to improve uh, this last quarter of the season. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I can uh, see them improving as well, too. And they, you know, like it, it's funny you mentioned that because I was looking at their schedule beforehand and you were saying that, you know, they don't really lose games by that much. And yeah, you, you're absolutely right. Their last three games, which were uh, looked like they were seemingly against divisional rivals, the Raiders lost that by two. The Chiefs, um, they lost that one by seven. Uh, but, you know, still uh, th- that game was pretty close from what I can recollect. Uh, for the most part and then they lost by three to the Broncos as you just mentioned so yeah they they are a bunch that could keep it tight and yeah you're right I I definitely uh, do want to see this uh, defense especially with the Gus Bradley ties how they finish Uh, because uh, you know like a lot of people on the 4-3 under scheme right now aren't really having the success that it once had when uh, you know those guys all left Pete Carroll aside from the 49ers Uh, but Nonetheless, like I like you said, I think they do have a lot of playmakers, especially with Derwin James coming back from Florida State. Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch how they finish down the stretch. So uh, the next question, I'm going to hand off to Phil. Yeah, and actually, I just want to ask uh, ask this question to to Kyle because the Jags earlier in the season were in. Um, you know, on a lot of news stories for a lot of the wrong reasons. And it's kind of an ongoing joke between Jay and I and the Jaguars Wire that fans, according to our comment section and social media, are tired of hearing about Jalen Ramsey. But because you're a former because you're a former defensive player and um, I just wanted to get your opinion. So early on, it seemed like when it first started, Jalen had the support of the locker room. And then it seemed as it, as it went on, he started to lose that. Um, a lot of things coming out of the locker room around here about how they felt like they uh, he had quit on them and, and things of that nature. You know, when when something like that happens, how does that affect the morale and just the group in general on the defensive side when when a distraction like that is going on? That's well, a good I think, one. I, I, yeah, I've been asked questions about this, not necessarily specific to Jalen Ramsey, but just about the locker room. And I was, and I'm not even just you know BSing you guys here. I was really fortunate that we didn't really have many guys ever create stories that yeah. you know added more outside noise um you know things are going to happen and Joey Bosa held out um his rookie year that created some outside noise that wasn't necessarily his fault I don't think anyone blamed him you know there's a business side of this game as well right exactly um so it, it, it kind of made sense um but when someone's you know almost intentionally or at least it might seem like intentionally bringing an outside noise it's hard enough to win in this league and you already have enough noise going on from the media and everyone else um that's when i know i personally would have an issue um i don't think i would ever lose support for a guy on my team until like you mentioned if i felt like someone was quitting if i felt like someone wasn't giving their all um they had no intention of of trying to win games of trying to improve trying to be better that's when me as a teammate as a you know former professional football player like that's when i would have an issue with the locker room regardless of who it is you know from from the the star quarterback to the to the long snapper that's when i would have an issue with it 
Well, on that note, I would love to see what would happen in, a, in the in the event of a long snapper holdout. We might be away from that, <laughs> away from that, but I would like to see it happen. But yeah, thank, thanks. Just wanted to get your opinion on on that. Like you know, like I said, it was unfortunately the uh, biggest story out of the Jags this year, and it wasn't a a positive one. And uh, but we'll uh, move on here to the, our next question here. So um, moving, looking ahead to this weekend, um, how do you see the game going down between these two strug- uh, between these two struggling teams? I think it'll be uh it'll be fun. Uh it's it's going to be interesting. I think, you know, my biggest question mark is uh I want to see how Philip responds and I think, you know, I know him from a a personal standpoint. I think he he's such a good competitor and he wants to be with the Chargers. You know, we haven't you know, the, that's an, a whole nother issue but what, you know whether he's going to be back next year or not. Um so I, I just want to see how he responds. I think I think you're going to see uh, you know an offense that's it's a little sharper. Maybe something similar to to when the when they played the Packers, um, where no one really expected them to win that game. Not that no one's expecting them to win this game, but I think you might see a pretty good offensive performance against the Jags defense that that has struggled at times, um, especially recently. Um, you know, from Jacksonville standpoint, obviously if you can get Gardner Minshew, I think he's best when he's creating and doing some some improvisation uh maybe getting leonard fournette going a little bit more he is on my fantasy team so i would like that um as well uh, <laughs> although playoff time so yeah exactly yeah so obviously i'm still rooting for the Chargers. but if leonard fournette could get a couple touchdowns you know that'd be good as well so i think it's it's going to be a slugfest um two two similar type teams um kind of crazy that the chargers might have a question mark at quarterback which hasn't been um that way for a long time so it'll be interesting to see honestly i uh i I don't even know what i would give you as a prediction um but uh i think it should be a fun game as fun as the game can be between two four and eight teams at this point well the fact that you can't give a prediction is pretty spot on because uh every single week uh the jaguars wire staff puts out our predictions and it's usually the opposite of whatever everyone else puts so uh you know it's that's just how how it's gone this year before jay gets into our our last question we want to talk to you about um even though we kind of touched on philip rivers a little bit and you said it's just crazy to think that going into next year that we don't know who the Chargers quarterback is going to be but i just want to get your your opinion you've been around the guy you've seen him up close and personal philip rivers hall of famer um yes i i would say so um and i know obviously the big knock against him for hall of fame is going to be the fact that he hasn't hasn't won a super bowl hasn't won actually doesn't want a ton of playoff games and you know kind of unfortunately that's exactly how um quarterbacks are are judged some of some of these times you know i I look at some guy like uh, a guy like troy aikman i actually looked up his numbers once they're not that great they really weren't that great but the man won he won games he won super bowls and so he's in the hall of fame um philip rivers obviously hasn't won the big game hasn't made it to the big game so i think that's going to be his biggest knock but when you look at his numbers and obviously just being around him for me i might be a little bit biased because i love the guy i think he's a great great human being great football player but He's he's been a, a really talented quarterback for a long time, and uh, unfortunately, just hasn't been able to win the big one. But uh, I I do think he's a Hall of Famer. Yes. What do you think, Jay? About oh yeah, I do. I believe he is as well. Um, like he said, I mean, you look at like people like Troy Aikman's numbers; they're not like all that impressive. You know, you can make the argument that he played for the the world's arguably most legendary team. You know. And that that may have helped him. But uh, in terms of like Phillips career in totality and and if you just look at the regular season success he's had, because, I mean, that's really all you can really go for. As Kyle said, it's not a lot of playoff games to go by. Uh, You know, he's he's, he definitely in this 
for us, like me and you and Kyle, like the people of this generation, I mean, he's done some incredible things to warrant getting into the Hall of Fame. So uh, I think it's going to be interesting, you know, whenever the time comes when he retires. So, yeah, like as Jags fans, we know like about the struggles of getting into the Hall of Fame. And I think like because of the whole playoff thing, it might be an issue for Phillip. Uh, but that being said, it's going to definitely be interesting to see how the voters react, you know, when he retires and uh, how they how they strive towards getting him into the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. But I agree with Kyle. And I think he's also going to have to deal with being compared to Eli Manning and Ben Roethlisberger, who are right. in his draft class and both have two Super Bowls. So that's going to be another thing he's going to have to overcome when it comes to the Hall of Fame. Absolutely. He, he might be one of those guys, if he gets in, uh, it, it might take a few tries, kind of, you know, kind of right. like what we're dealing with with Boselli right now. Bocelli. So, yeah, yeah. And we'll then we got Fred Taylor on the ballot, so we'll see. Which I think I think are both Hall of Famers, and might be just like just like Philip Rivers. I think they both belong in as well, but might have to wait a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of it is how you know the um, the people vouch for him, the media members that you know make a case for him, vouch for him from the San Diego and Los Angeles area. How make how strong of a case they make for him? So you know, sometimes it helps to have like a senior senior figure in the media, if you will, to kind of help push that to the forefront. Kind of like you know how Prisco was talking about, like him trying to get involved and help Fred Taylor get into the the mix, if you will. So I guess we'll see. Like I said, it kind of depends on like the help from the media as well. So um, uh, you spoke on the playoffs actually, Kyle, which kind of said ways into my question. I just simply want to know. Like, how do you feel about the AFC playoff picture at the moment? Because uh, it's some pretty talented teams out there. I mean, obviously, the Jaguars aren't going to make it. And although the Chargers have a similar record to us, uh, I-, I think they got a better chance than us. But in general, how do you feel about the AFC playoff picture? Yeah, I think it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, I think the Ravens are the, uh, the team to beat, uh, to say the least. I think, uh, you know. Other than the NFC East, I think the NFC has obviously looked much stronger. I mean, you look at their wild card teams; they might, you know, the the 49ers or the Seahawks. Probably one of them is going to end up being a wild card team. And you look at um, some of the teams that are still kind of in the hunt. I think technically the Chargers might still be—they're uh, not eliminated quite yet, um, so there's still a chance. So um, I still think, you know, uh, regardless, even with the, how talented the Chiefs are. Um, and I've seen that firsthand. I still think the Ravens, uh, with just how hot they are, they, they got to be the team to beat in the AFC. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and it's to the point where I'm, I'm starting to hear like and read also, uh, you know, like rumors about Greg Roman and who's their offensive coordinator getting head coach uh, considerations when the season is over because their offense is so hot right now. And that's what. I guess you could say that's kind of what the Ravens have always lacked. We always known them to be this uh, forceful defense, you know, especially in the early 2000s and on. And then the Ray Lewis era. And, you know, even under Harbaugh, they've always kind of been more defensive than offensive. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it'll be interesting to see, especially with Lamar Jackson doing his thing right now and just that whole offense in general. But uh, I guess it's one of those things where time will tell. We'll know more in in late December uh, as opposed to like who's going in there hot and who's going in there not so hot. Yeah. And I think everyone's like doubting the Patriots still. Um, And I've heard this, uh, I feel like for the last three or four years, you know, Tom Brady's falling off the cliff. He's not the guy anymore. And 
they can't do it, and then they go ahead and win a Super Bowl. So I wouldn't count them out uh, by any means either. <laughs> no, yeah, I was no. just going to say, we're, we're talking about the Ravens and the Chiefs right now, and then a few months from now, we'll be congratulating the New England <laughs> Patriots on winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> so yep. yeah. uh, that's just... That's just how it goes. Well, hey, I mean, I think that's it on uh, on our end here, Kyle. Like, once again, we really appreciate you uh, taking the time out, and and shout out to Valiev for setting this up. And uh, Kyle, what's if there's anything you want to talk about, any projects you're working on, or anything you want to plug, uh, please take the time. Yeah, so uh, I got the opportunity to uh, you know start a Chargers podcast uh, on the Believe Network. That's B L E A V Podcast Network, and uh, me and my host Scott Lieberman break down. You know, the Chargers, uh, kind of similar to you guys, obviously, uh, at this time, kind of looking, you know, maybe to off-season changes or what's going to happen with Phillip or, and, and obviously we're still going to, we're still going to talk about the games because, uh, as a former player, I know those games still matter regardless of, of, of the playoff picture. So, yep, Believe Podcast Network, it's called, uh, Leading the Charge. Yeah, it's, it's nice. Uh, it, it's been, uh, it's, it's funny that you talk about, looking ahead because uh, that's really you know what Jack, Jack, Jay and I and Jaguar fans do uh, unfortunately a little bit too often <laughs> right. is we get to look ahead to the off season because uh, you know it's all about the hope and building up the <laughs> the, the enthusiasm and yep. you know before the games actually start so um, but yeah you know, and, and and Jay and I will have some projects coming down the line hopefully we can work with uh, with Kyle again in the future this was this was great so thank you again uh, for for joining us and, and Jay if there's anything you want to Add on, and then we'll let Kyle get out of here, and we'll uh, we'll get our weekend started, I guess. <laughs> no, nah, it was funny what you said, man. It's <laughs> I was just thinking about that today. It's like, damn, I've become a better draft analyst than I have of regular season football <laughs> because of how the Jaguars operate. Yep. Uh, but uh, that said, though, Kyle, man, we appreciate you coming on, though, man, and uh, look forward to having you on in the future, man. Uh, yeah, you really didn't have to take your time out of your day to do this. And uh, we appreciate y'all reaching out. And uh, we, we can't wait to uh, do more in the future with y'all. I'm sure the Jags and Chargers, looking at history, I'm sure the Jags and Chargers will play each other several times within the next yeah. three to four years because that's just kind of mm-hmm. how things have gone. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They uh, We played, uh, I think we played them three out of four years I was there, so kind of a almost like a little division rivalry there but yeah absolutely thanks for having me on guys um i appreciate it and uh enjoy the game sunday yeah absolutely thanks a lot again kyle we, we appreciate it we'll we'll let you go all right thanks no stop yep thanks kyle hello everybody and welcome back to the jags den podcast the number one and go-to Jaguars podcast on the airwaves. I'm your host, Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino. And joining me here today, we are running duos this afternoon, the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire of USA Today, James Johnson. Uh, Johnson J. How are you doing here on this uh, sulky, not victory Monday? <laughs> yeah, man, it, it's rough. And not only that, I was traveling in the process too, so... Needless to say, I'm tired. I was in Jacksonville and uh, got back home Monday. And y'all probably could still hear it in my voice. I got a little sick, too, while I was in Jacksonville. Probably climate change. I don't know. I don't know. It might have been the allergies, but I got over it soon enough. And um, now we are here to talk about this unfortunate showing that we saw against a very, I would say, not so good Tampa Bay Buccaneers team, unfortunately. Yeah, of course not the 
performance that fans were expecting against a team that has its own issues, and we'll get into all of that here very shortly. Uh, before we begin, as mentioned, of course, this is the Jags Den podcast, which is the official podcast of the Jaguars Wire. And you can find our website at jaguarswire.usatoday.com for all of your up-to-date Jacksonville Jaguars news. You can also follow the podcast at Jags Den Podcast. Uh, the, the main site is also on Twitter at the Jaguars Wire. You can find Jay at sportsgrind underscore Don, myself at Phil the Filipino, and then our colleague Jacob, who usually joins us at underscore J Della. He is currently busy, so he will not be joining us today. Um, but then as far as the podcast, make sure you're subscribing. You can find us pretty much anywhere you listen to your podcast at Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and of course, USA Today's Audio Boom Network. So yeah, Jay, we have plenty to get into, unfortunately, and not, not very much of it is going to be positive, but we're going to start off with our quick hits, as we always do, and these two things kind of tie into each other. Of course, uh, Nick Foles uh, struggled mightily yesterday. Uh, he's turned the ball over on his first three possessions, and uh, I will speak on my personal experience as I was in attendance yesterday and let you know what the atmosphere was like in the stadium. But the team had, did come out and announce here today that Nick Foles has been benched in uh, in favor of Gardner Minshew for next week's matchup. So, Jay, you and I uh, and Jacob actually talked about this. I think have talked about it a few times. When do you think at the point would be that they go to this and make this change? And I think it maybe came even a little quicker than we expected it to. But I honestly, in my opinion, believe this is pretty much a no lose situation at this point. Give the fans some kind of positivity. So, what were your initial thoughts when this news broke here? Just a short yeah. Well, while I ago? think I, I might have been right because I said approximately around that Chargers game. So here we are. I guess it happened technically happened a little earlier than the Chargers game. Um, but that said, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I think it was no other move to make when you look at uh, how uh, lackluster the offense was with Nick Foles. Aside from, like, I really don't remember much positive going on with Nick Foles since his return from collarbone injury. Aside from, like, the first quarter he returned week 11 against the Indianapolis Colts where, you know, he hit DJ Chark. And, you know, I think that was towards the end of the first quarter there. And, you know, that gave us a little bit of hope. It's like, hey, you know, he's getting linking up with DJ Chark again. Like he ended the season or, you know, he, he left the field when he was injured. He was linking up with DJ Chark then. And, uh, you know, that kind of gave us a little bit of hope. And, and from there, it just got worse. You know, the offense looked lethargic and just couldn't move the ball under him. Um, of course, the pocket presence was a was a big issue or should I say the evasiveness in the pocket? Uh, he also, he, he almost gives you nothing in terms of being able to elude defenders and uh, do some of the things that Gardner does. And, and that's not to say Gardner by any stretch of the means is uh, Lamar Jackson or, or Michael Vick, but he is very slippery and elusive and Nick Foles is not. And that's an issue in itself. And then what we kind of saw on uh, Sunday was not only is he not, and even before, not only is Nick Foles not elusive in the pocket, uh, he gives you issues in terms of turnovers. You know, fumbled the ball twice, uh, threw a pick as well, a very ugly pick, by the way, um, straight to the defender. I think it was a linebacker. So uh, that being said, you know, if you, you yeah, Devin, uh, Devin White, I believe Devin, I think I that's believe the so. right, Devin White. 
Um, but uh, yeah, like if you're going to be dealing with all of those kind of fumbling issues in the pocket and this, that, and the other, I feel like you might as well do it with Gardner. Um, and, and the thing, I think the thing about it to me is, you know, I've always, me and you, I guess you could say, and, and Jacob have kind of been interested in Gardner and further seeing him develop and see where he can go. Not necessarily saying that we, we know he's a franchise quarterback, but we're intrigued by him and think there is something there to a degree. And and the thing about Gardner is when he was in the game for the most part or when he was playing, the Jaguars were never out of a game. Uh, you look at since Foles returned, the Jaguars have pretty much gotten blown out in all of those games. And that fact alone is a fact that I think that a lot of people should pay attention to uh, when when looking at what went into this decision. And I think heading forward, you know, the, at least Gardner can make things closer and more entertaining. And heck, he might can even get us uh, some wins. Um, and depending on how you view it in terms of draft positioning, uh, that might be for the better or worse. But, you know, at least he will make the Jacksonville Jaguars offense more entertaining going forward. Yeah, it's almost as it's almost kind of like a uh, kind of like an Aaron Rodgers, um, Ben Roethlisberger type right. of slippery. You know, like he just has an, an, a weird ability and an uncanny ability to get out of those situations. It's really kind of fascinating to watch if you haven't seen it in person because it, it it looks great on on TV but when you when you can sit back in the crowd and really just see where all the pressure is coming from different mm. different directions it's pretty crazy how he's able to get out of those situations so and, and it was just night and day in terms of just like you mentioned their mobility and just able to extend I think plays. I would call it um, the I, best way to put it Phil and, and be, I think the word we might be looking for is uh he has better pocket instincts um in terms of mm-hmm. the way he's able to evade uh, pressure and whatnot. And that's not to say, like, sometimes it doesn't end up exactly again. Um, Foles had fumbling issues, and that, that was something that kind of concerned us with Gardner, too. Uh, but at the end of the day, Gardner would always, by the end of the game, at least close the gap and, and keep it close, you know. But with, with Foles, when you're losing two fumbles at the beginning of the game, it's almost over with him. You know, so Gardner gives you that comeback ability to, I guess the best way to put it is he, he can uh, better uh, make up for his mistakes than Foles can. Yeah, just to give you the, just to add on to that, when we're down 15-0 and Nick Foles is in the game, I can tell you that the the atmosphere in the stadium was mm-hmm. that the game was over. Because there's no faith whatsoever in in the fan base in Nick Foles, because he hasn't given us a reason to. And I and I want to uh, harp or, or get on a little bit about what Gardner said and you know how he felt about you know the fans booing and uh, the the for those of you who have only seen part of the quote, you, you should really look out look for the entire thing because I, I definitely understand what he's saying. You know, he, he, everybody. Every player right. has been booed. You know, in, at some point in their career, and. Um, and it just so happened to happen to Nick. It's not the first time, not, definitely not the first time for Nick Foles, and I probably won't be the last. But the thing, the the fact of the matter is that I, the fan base was never really clamoring for Nick Foles right. to be here, and 
the 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 decision was made for us, you know, and and we, you, me, and Jacob went into extensive conversation about how Nick Foles was brought in, seeming and, and given all this money, seemingly bidding mm-hmm. against themselves, and you know now you gave this guy all this money, and 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 the fans are very aware of how much money this guy is making to right. underperform. So, I mean, I, that not I think maybe the reaction's a little bit different. If Nick Foles isn't an eighty-eight million dollar guy, you know, um, I, I, if if he gave him uh, more, <laughs> maybe a contract he's more right. deserving of, then maybe the reaction is a little bit different. But because you paid him so much money, because you came in and said, "Hey, this is our guy. He's going right. to take us to the next level," and he's clearly not. That is why the fan base reacts the way that it does. And I and you know what? That's their mm-hmm. right. They're, they they paid their tickets. They pay their way in. They are allowed to react accordingly, of course, within uh, you know within a certain set of boundaries. But they are yeah. allowed to boo. So yeah, it's like it's happen. different. It's a little. I think it's a little different because we kind of talked on this a little bit with Andrew Luck. Uh, it's a little different than Andrew Luck, who was retiring because his body was worn down, and you could put two and two together and figure out why he was doing it. Um, and you know, we we talked about that, and and you know, um, and, and and you know, Jacob even defended for the fans, saying you know. He made a case for them. Um, I forgot exactly uh, what it was. Um, but that being said, this is different. Like, you know, this is a, a player who's pretty much 100%. You know, he wasn't injured in any way, shape, or form. Who, And, uh, and again, another thing is this frustration is pinned up from, you know, dating back to the Wayne Weaver days of us watching just poor quarterback plays. So, you know, you can see why the fans would be upset. And like you said, yeah, it was how they – uh, how they paid him. Not only that, how they hyped him up, and how how the media hyped him up. And I think one thing we're seeing are not necessarily with us. I mean, we, and we do have people that that come at us on Jack Jack Wars Wire too. But uh, a lot of the fans have been harsh on the local media. I'll say that uh, because they're so. Uh, it's like it feels like the local media is being paid by the Jaguars the way they praise people. And one of the guys that they were praising this offseason was Nick Foles. You could say nothing bad about him. Like, oh, he's hitting that th- deep throw. He's hitting uh, this deep throw, uh, this, that, and the other. And, you know, like they, they built up this anticipation and they built up this, this kind of the media and Jaguars built up this hype. And, you know, I've even written articles on how he looked in camp. And this hype was built up of uh, how well he was playing at training camp. And he looks the exact opposite now. And and now fans are frustrated about that. They feel like they've been uh, misled, if you will. And uh, you, you really can't blame them from that perspective. Yeah, and that's a good, a, a really good point too, because it it just seems, and I've just seen an increasing number amount of people on Jaguars Twitter starting to call mm-hmm. out these local media members, like, "Hey, come on, like, just, tell it like it is, you know, yeah. do your job, like, you, it, exactly, like." And I don't know what it is. It maybe it's it maybe I've just been blind to it in the past, but I don't right. remember it being right. like this when. When Blake was here, and even dating back to Gerard and Leftwich, I don't remember it being like this. So something's going on 
to where you know, like like you said, the the team is being protected right. for whatever reason, and uh, I don't know if it's yep. maybe it's coming that's what from I was about Coughlin to say. or maybe I think it's Coughlin. Shot, that respect th- for that, that, a lot know. of these people in, and yeah. you know, we're not calling nobody out, but a yeah. lot of people in the local media had, you know, they knew Coughlin from when he was coaching here the first, yeah, from the ninth, right? Yeah, they were they were local media. The Some of them were then, you know, and they have this 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 respect for him, and you know that's okay, like you know. But at the same time, you know, as a media member, it's kind of your job to call it like it is, regardless of who it is, and and just tell it like it is and be uh, real and genuine to the fans. And again, like they just I think at this point, from how I gather it, they felt they feel misled. And that's why, you know, here at the Jaguars, why are we trying and, um, you know, walk that line of of telling it like it is we did it with the Blake Bortles situation and um well I guess we can't go no further back than that because we've only been a site for roughly three to four years but you know that's something that we try and bring is just genuine thought and 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 telling it like it is and uh you know and and not be so protective of the team when they mess up and, and when they're doing good in their defense in 2017 we praised them you know so you you just gotta in my opinion, I think the fans just the the losing has turned the fans against the fan uh, against the the media, and I won't say turn them against the media, but it's made them more aware of what's going on with the media and how kind of protective they have been of the Jacksonville Jaguars when that shouldn't be the case. You know, you if anything, you should be able to rely on the media uh, for the cold hard facts and the truth, if you will. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always been my understanding, and you know, and that's why I've just been, uh, you know, of course, just as one of your closest friends, but also just as a, you know, as as a colleague, uh, I've, you know, I've always just respected just the ability to make sure to to separate the fandom from also, like I said, having you know, c- keeping up your responsibility to what your what what your job is, and for whatever reason, uh, it seems like the local media in this town has has seemed seemingly put that on the back burner and I, I mean i don't know we'll we'll see what happens going forward but hopefully once this front office is your fingers crossed out you know and and replaced that will no longer uh, no longer be the case uh, going forward but something we'll just continue to monitor and i think a very important conversation that needs to be had and and i and i put a call out to jaguars twitter um the fan base to continue to ask these questions as to why the front office is not being held accountable for because that's really the only thing we got right now is you know is is your voice and your feedback that's the only thing you can really rely on right now so i, I encourage you guys to keep keep it up and and keep up the good work so uh, but we'll move on at least uh, the, to our very last quick hit before getting into our our primary topics and at least one of the bright spots of the of the season has been Josh Allen and Jay <laughs> <laughs> looks like uh, we're getting we're getting pretty close to your uh, right. <laughs> to your prediction of 10 sacks uh, for Josh Allen um, and now unless he just completely and totally craps the bed in these last few weeks uh, he's sitting pretty at nine sacks which is a rookie record for the Jacksonville Jaguars, um, and it's just great to continue to see him play well and him be a bright spot. I think he he has not garnered enough attention in terms of rookie of the year, and I think a lot of that has to do with, of course, the 49ers are playing so well, and 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 Nick Bosa is great. He's a he's a solid. I mean, he's an excellent player. Um, but if, as far as their statistics, they're very very similar. Uh, Josh Allen sitting at nine sacks, uh, Nick Bosa sitting at eight. Now, of course. 
Uh, we're way past the point in in, in uh, analytics where you can't just look at the sacks and the tackles. You look at uh, the kind of pressure that they uh, that they're able to apply, and and you know things of that nature. So, um, but I think Josh Allen just deserves to be right up there with Nick Bosa in terms of defensive rookie of the year. So, Jay, you know, just speak on our man, the good Josh Allen. Although, you know what? I can't disparage the other Josh Allen either because he played pretty well against my Cowboys on, on Thanksgiving as well. So, um, but the the better Josh Allen, I'll say that. <laughs> what, speak on him a little bit and what you're continuing to see out of the young man. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, well, Josh Allen, man, uh, maybe I should have been bolder on uh, the <laughs> on my take, yeah, yeah might have gone too low. Said he'll be like closer to Javon Curse's league rookie sack record, which I think is uh, either thirteen point five or fourteen point five or something like that. Uh, but yeah, man, it's you know it's it's just good to see him having the success that he's having. Um, I mean, like he's kind of just validating why we were so happy that he failed to us. He's also validating why he shouldn't have failed to us. And he's also validating why uh, it was a no-brainer for the Jaguars to take him. Um, but, yeah, so that being said, man, uh, I don't think we could ask for any more out of Josh Allen in in, uh, in terms of what he's given us. Although, you know, I think, what was it, not this Sunday, but uh, when we played the Titans, he saw his lowest snap count that he's seen, and it was less than 50% snap count. Uh, all year and that was kind of concerning so for you know him to bounce back uh this week uh I think he had a um increase in snap counts and make the most of it uh that was good to see it's good to see that you know although the coaching staff are kind of dead man walking that they are you know they're aware that he needs to get back on the field more uh they they need to do whatever they need to do to make him more productive and uh Going heading forward, it should be uh, pretty interesting to watch him. Not just for you know the sack purposes, but uh, you know it's some it's some decent teams coming up that we could kind of monitor how he's growing against uh, this, that, and the other. But I, I think the future is bright, and the better he plays from this point on, you know, uh, he, the the more appealing he makes the team look as well. That's another part we might be missing uh, for an incoming coach and GM. So. Uh, go Josh Allen, man. Keep at it. Yeah, like you said, it's been great to see him continue to progress as a player. And just so you know, the rookie sack record for Javon Curse was 14 okay. and a half. So he is about, uh, yeah, five and a half away. So uh, four games left in the season. And uh, I mean, we've seen him have a multi-sack game, so right. you never know. Um, but yeah, we'll continue to monitor Josh Allen in his uh, pursuit for defensive rookie of the year we will see what happens there uh, but yeah jay that's it for the quick hits now we will move on to some uh, to our main topics and uh, as i mentioned beforehand guys there's not going to be a lot of uh, positive to go over here actually we just covered it yeah. josh allen so uh the rest of this is going to be uh, a lot of uh, a lot of difficult discussions that we're going to be having, and one of them uh, has been coming out here uh, that there is a lot of locker room turmoil now going on uh, here with the Jaguars. First, we'll start off with um, we'll start off with this. Um, there was a report from Jason Luckenfora from CBSSports.com. Um, this came out Sunday morning before the game actually even started. Um, that there is going to be sweeping changes between both coaching and the front office. Um, that some of the high Highlights of this article, starting with uh, there's a strong sense within the Jaguars organization that major changes are coming in 2020, according to league sources. The Jaguars fell far 
short of internal expectations last season, with ownership mulling possible changes only to announce hours after the season ended that they would be retaining Tom Coughlin as team team president and Dave Caldwell as GM and Doug Marone as the head coach. Of course, the signing of Nick Foles has not worked out, and problems remain on both sides of the ball. Uh, Just last week, Tom Coughlin met with the media to implore players and fans not to give up on the season, which is never a good sign. Uh, Questions remain uh, as to how long Coughlin will continue in the role with the Jaguars um, as they are no longer close to even uh, contending for a playoff spot, let alone the Super Bowl. Um, You and I, Jay, have talked in length about Doug Marone is probably a pretty capable coach, um, but just not getting the the, the job done here. Um, So yeah, when you saw this, uh, we'll start off with this and then we'll move on to some other uh, issues going on in the locker room. Actually, that happened just yesterday. When you saw this report come out from Lock and Fora, uh, what were your initial thoughts? As this is something we've been talking about for yeah, well, weeks now. <clears throat> Excuse me. To um, put a little bit of clarity to it, um, uh, what he's saying is uh, the sense that the coaching staff is given, uh, I guess you could say the rest of the league, is that there is going to be sweeping changes. Now, he didn't say it necessarily is a guarantee, uh, but we pretty much get pretty – I mean, if Shot Khan keeps these guys around after this, I don't know what to say. So, you know, that was something that we pretty much could see the writing on the wall towards. And, um, you know, basically, you know, you have coaches on the staff calling out to people they know and networking and saying, hey, you know, I might be out of a job. Like, if y'all got an opening – uh, next year, you know, I want to put my name in the head or this, that, and the other. But uh, you know, after how the season is going, uh, you, that should be that should have been expected. And I mean, if I was on the Jack staff, I'll be doing the same thing. Uh, so uh, all of that said, I wouldn't doubt that there is uh, some validity to it, and I wouldn't doubt that at in the end that the uh, coaching staff is probably uh, all of the coaching staff, should I say, will be jobless when the season ends because at the least you can't keep the coaching staff, even if you keep the leadership, uh, that being um, Tom Coughlin and uh, Dave Caldwell, uh, you almost certainly can't keep this coaching staff. And uh, you would think that uh, Tom Coughlin wouldn't keep this coaching staff if he's kept, and he doesn't deserve to be kept himself, but that's another story for another time. So, uh, yeah, this this is pretty much uh, – telling of what we already knew and uh it's just it's it's as if the assistants and the uh the the coaches on the staff are preparing for black monday as we are basically yeah i think and and i don't and you can tell me jay if this is is an overreaction i think this this offseason might be one of the most if not the most important in franchise history um this this is we're starting a brand new brand new decade Hopefully, bringing in a brand new regime. Um, you've got some solid young players to hopefully build around, um, and then not only are you going to have to make some decisions in terms of the front office and the coaching staff, then you also have the looming uh, issue of Yannick Ngakwe. Are, are you going to let a guy who was an absolute steal walk out of here? Are you going to let that happen? And hopefully whoever is in charge next realizes and recognizes this guy's talent and recognize, and also not only recognizes that and realizes it, but appreciates that he's done this the way the front office 
the front offices want you to handle it. Go out and play, and we'll take care of you, you know, when the time is right. And he's done that. Yeah, I'm going to so, actually talk on him a little bit later like said, in that situation. Uh, we'll, we'll get yeah. into that in one of the other topics that we got uh, in our text message. But, yeah, on, on to what you were saying about it being an important uh Offseason, yeah, this is probably the most important in franchise history uh, in the sense that Shot Khan has to get this right this time. He's had He's been here a while now, and it's time to get it right. And fans have grown tired of him just as they had grown, kind of were growing tired of the loser product that Wayne Weaver was putting on the field at the end of his tenure as well. And now, you know, it's to the point where the gimmicks aren't going to work, okay? Um, putting this, that, and the other in the stadium, uh, putting a a, a a t-shirt cannon that could shoot t-shirts all the way to uh, the Jacksonville Suns, uh, or excuse me, the Jumbo Shrimp Stadium, isn't gonna appeal to people anymore. Like the gimmicks that you put in the stadium is not gonna work. It's now about uh what shot Khan could put on the field in terms of a watchable product, and and even more so, it's important because. We're we're reaching that area where we've heard the rumblings, we heard the articles about the Jaguars wanting a new stadium. That is not possible with the product that Shot Khan is putting on the field. Okay, it's clear cut and dry. Uh, so we're kind of reaching that, and, and not only that, uh, we're reaching that stage where the stadium lease is uh, running out as well. And you know, it would help to have a winning product on the field to have the Jaguars stadium uh, to, to have their the, the talks about relocation. If they're going to relocate, we're not saying they're going to relocate. But to calm those talks, it would help to have a winning product on the field, because, of course, the fans would support a team that, you know, of course, it is winning and doing good things on the field. So he got to get it right in terms of the GM. If he's going to get a new EVP, he's got to get the right person. Um and, and whatever the case may be, they got to get the right coach and they got to start making better uh, decisions in the first round. So uh, this uh, January is going to be very crucial for the franchise and it's 25 years of existence in Jacksonville period from a lot of standpoints. And uh, it, it, and it rests on the shoulders as, as tough as it may be for him. He should have thought about it before he bought the team. It's got a lot of this is going to rest on the shoulders of shot Khan. So in a sense, I feel like Jacksonville's future, in a sense, is on Shad Khan's shoulder heading forward. Yeah, and you know it's it's cliche to to think of a you know to think of the new year as kind of a you know a palate cleanser, but everybody does that, and and but it's 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 representative of you know getting to start essentially start over, even though you know you can do that whenever you right. want. If we're being honest, if we're being honest as people, you can do that whenever you want. But as far as this team, January two thousand and twenty. You have you you get the opportunity to set the tone for what the future of this franchise mm-hmm. is going to be. All right, you leave everything behind. You leave everything else behind, and you give you give people the opportunity to say January 2020 is when this team finally got things turned around. And Shad Khan, this that's your that's your responsibility. So hopefully he's up to the task, uh, because right now the the culture within the front office and and uh, down in, in the locker room and even in it's it's leaking out. I can tell you, I was there yesterday, and it's even leaking out into the fan base because, uh, like you said, they're they're you you're gonna call us out for not for not supporting the team. Well, we're gonna call you out for putting right, a crap product right. on the field. 
Okay, so they people are getting tired. They're sick of it. All right, so don't don't call us out when we reciprocate, but you don't reciprocate back. So it's you know that that's just it, it, it's getting to that point. He couldn't have really, made really those is. comments at a, 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 most, a much worse uh, moment, to be honest with you, because when he made the right. comments, the team went on arguably what is uh, and. It's a, I guess it's a coincidence. The team is going arguably on the worst skid in terms of uh like points to our opponents' points. Uh, in terms of that kind of a deficit, we're getting the brakes beat off us every since, and we have been getting the brakes beat off us every since he made those comments, which validate uh basically what the fans have been saying is like, yeah, there's an appetite for football here, but we've been losing so long that it's starting to wear on us. And when you start to lose in the fashion that that you're losing at under Shad Khan, that's the issue. The team has been tragically bad under Shad Khan, which is probably why he shouldn't have made those those comments. But if you if you're gonna, you know what I'm saying, if you're gonna call out the fan base like just look at your resume and look at the record you put on the field. What is it? What, like 35 and 85 or something like that? It's something ridiculous. And look at the fashion that we're losing under you. Uh, like you said, we got to call you out for that. You know, and you got to hold your end of the bargain. And you got to get us from um, off the bottom of the totem pole, if you will. Because right now, we are the laughing stock of the league just as we were when you purchased us and you were, and you supposedly told us that you were going to make us the hottest ticket in the league and fans are now uh, ready to become the hottest ticket in the league. But you know, ownership hasn't given them much confidence that that will happen. Yeah. Like I said, fan, they're, fans are just plain and simple. They're just, we're just tired of it. You know, like um, we, we had a guest on um, um, uh, my other podcast, the wait for a podcast um, that I host with uh, my friend, Eric. We had a guest on, uh, his name is Aaron Smiley. He does the, the sports is to life podcast, which is also another great sports podcast for those of y'all um, who are interested, but he, he has been a Jaguar fan pretty much since their inception. And we, he and I talked and the three of us talked in depth about, you know what, uh, it'll get to the point where people will just find something else to do on a Sunday. They'll they'll just go do it. They they're not going to subject themselves to you know not only the the heat but also the excess amount of money that they have to spend. They'll just go do something else. They'll we'll go find something else to do. And I would hate for this city to lose this this team because they the the fact that they even have it is a miracle in itself. All right. So, um, but at some point, uh, just just being grateful and thankful isn't enough because the the product needs to uh, it needs to be representative of something that's worth actually uh, caring about. And right now, I can tell you, a lot of people in that stadium don't care, and that's not good. Um, you definitely don't want to get it to to that point. So uh, just to kind of transition into, um, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about culture. Um, it seems like the culture, not only in the front office, has also trickled down a little bit uh, to the locker room. And there was a um, uh, some stuff that came out from Mark Long. I'm going to read this here in, uh, in full. Um, it says, several people inside the facility said the environment has become toxic. Hardly a surprise for a team that has lost 17 of its past 23 games. Coaches are pointing fingers at the scouting department for sticking them with players like rookie line linebacker Quincy Williams, safety Gerard Wilson, and defensive tackle Taven Bryan, and arguably the worst tight end group in the league, and, pl- and players are questioning who's really in charge, Marone or Coughlin, a two-time Super Bowl winning coach, 
who has seemingly struggled to make the transition from the sideline to the front office, uh, which also leads into a report yesterday that apparently uh, defensive end, uh, the aforementioned Yannick Ngakwe and center Brandon Linder were seen having a face-to-face toe-to-toe exchange and had to be separated at the beginning of the open locker room period after yesterday's game. Mm -hmm. So, Jay... (laughs) I mean, Ooh, I don't no, even know where to start no. with this uh, because it's just it, it, like it's it's just so unfortunate yes. to hear. Um, but you, when 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 you hear toxic and locker room in the same sentence, it's yeah. usually not good. So, what are your what are your initial thoughts about? Yeah, well, well, in the segment before this, I was saying we'll talk about it in God Quay later, and that's uh, we're to that point now. So, <clears throat> excuse me again. Within God Quay and Linder. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of people, rightfully so, uh, are, are taking Ngakwe's side, even though they don't even know the context of the situation. But, you know, Linder played so poorly and has played so poorly since basically getting his contract, which made him the highest paid center in football, to the point where people are like, yeah, we're taking Yon on this. So, uh, but yeah, that being said, though, uh, I, I, one thing I want to talk about is like something that's becoming, and I've been on the paying Yon train uh, for quite some time now, and I still am. Um, but something that's becoming concerning for me is uh, that Jan has always seemed to find himself always uh, in a confrontation with teammates. You know, first there was the uh, the Dante Fowler situation that we all saw on camera. You remember that happened in, what was it, training camp or some point in the summer where Jalen Ramsey told everybody to take, uh, turn their phones off, basically. Yeah, it was last last right, last and year. then um, if I can recall, and I, you know, this is just uh, from a, a report that somebody else mentioned. Um, that I didn't see this myself or anything like that, or I didn't even see it on the internet. But uh, T. Wig also mentioned that uh, Yannick and um, Marion Hobby got into it at some point last year. Uh, so there's another incident that's concerning if it did happen. And then you have this one with him and Brandon Linder. And I can understand, like, Yannick is a competitor. He wants to win um, uh, this, that, and the other. But um, I, I do feel like he, he's coming off as a little bit as hot-tempered. And, and what, what, what caused me to, like, start thinking about this is I started thinking to myself, I'm like, why wouldn't this team want to pay Yannick Ngakwe? And it, it, and it kind of dawned on me. I was like, well, Tom Coughlin – may just feel like he's a hot-tempered guy, and that don't make it right now uh, because the man's deserve, uh, earned his money and he deserves to get paid and deserves to get paid in the right fashion, not that uh, short-term deal that they reportedly shot to him, something better than that. But that being said, like, I thought about it, and I was like, maybe, you know, that's part of it. Maybe Tom Coughlin sees his uh, temper as potentially a problem, you know, and, and – if you can't get along with your teammates, we don't want to. We don't want to pay you this this ungodly amount of money if you you know you're gonna be a guy that's bumping heads with your teammates occasionally or or this that and the other. But I just thought that was something worth mentioning. Uh, me personally, if I was the GM, I still would pay him uh, because again, like the things he's done in terms of being a pass rusher and in this league, you need a pass rusher. Make no mistake about it. You mean you need multiple ones. We said that on this podcast before, uh, but. That being said, like, I, I just found it kind of alarming, uh, though I still would pay him. Uh, just thinking about it, if I did pay him, in the back of my mind, I would be kind of concerned about his interactions with his teammates in the past. Now, again, we don't know the context of 
what him and Brandon Linder got into it about. Uh, Linder could be in the wrong or Ngakwe could be in the wrong or nobody could be in the wrong. They could be just, you know, mad about all the losing or whatever the case may be. Uh, but, yeah, that's something I think we should monitor heading forward because he has had a few incidents. And even on the field, like, you know, I, I go to some hot-headed mistakes he's made, like shoving Taylor Lewan in the face after a play is over and costing us a 15-yard unnecessary roughness penalty in a key game, you know, in a key divisional rival game. It's like, look, after the whistle, man, don't cost your teammates 15 yards, especially us. Like, we we struggle to move the ball offensively as it is. You can't, you know, as a leader of the team, you can't do that kind of thing. So, you know, that I'm growing concerned with Yannick right now. Um, again, I would still pay him, but I would kind of be – weary of you know the patterns we're seeing with him now in terms of the things uh you were saying with the locker room now that that's no surprise um that you know it's it's, it's gotten toxic that's what losing will do basically for a long period of time i mean it probably doesn't help that you know we 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 see all of the reports you know the players probably aren't the biggest fans of tom coughlin um they probably don't like the fact that he gets involved or he's involved as much as he is and gets in steps on Doug's toes in the process. It's like, who do we listen to? Like we got a head coach here. Like why are you in the locker room and you're this in depth and this hands on with us? Like that's our head coach's job. I mean, the Jalen Ramsey situation is a prime example. So, um, you know, that, that goes back to shot Khan putting too many chefs in the kitchen, basically. And that's why it was a mistake for Shad Khan to bring Tom Coughlin into this equation because now you got a GM, you got a, a, a executive VP who is a little too hands-on in the locker room. You got a head coach uh, that's bumping heads with your executive VP. It's been countless times, dude, that this year alone where basically Doug Marone has basically had to call out the front office because, you know, they send him out there to talk for them and, and you know, he really doesn't have any answers to give the media. He always says it himself. Like that's a question that you might want to ask the front office, but they're never there to answer those hard hitting questions that need to be answered, especially with the losing streak that we've gone on as of late. So, uh, yeah, I mean, when you add all of those variables into it, man, I can see why it would be a mess and a dumpster fire to say the least. So, just in your opinion, having been in, in a locker room, you know, just yourself and a little bit more than, than I have. I've been in a locker room myself as well, uh, you know, back in like high school days, stuff like that. So what do you do to fix that? Is it as simple as bringing in a, a coach that demands that that has the room and said, OK, this is the guy mm-hmm. that we're going to follow? Is it do, do you make a lot of changes in the locker room? I mean, of course, like you just mentioned, you know, Brandon Linder really hasn't lived up to that money. Um, Andrew Norwell had a, a bunch of stupid mistakes yesterday, and that's getting more frustrating. Is it is it coming down to maybe like, man, these guys are getting paid all this money and they're not they're not performing on the field? Is it back to where the defense is aware that, you know, they pretty much have to carry the team again. You know, what what kind of changes need to be made to correct that? Where do you start? Yeah, I think you start, I mean, you have to start with the GM. And the GM is going to have to be the one to establish the right culture. And and that being, you know, getting the right guys in there, le- making less mistakes in terms of free agency and getting the right leadership in there. And, I mean, like, quite frankly, going back to the GM thing, I think Dave Caldwell has built – uh, the most, I guess you could say, the most. Uh, it's it's a very diverse mix of personalities he has put into that locker room, 
and it, it's really starting to rear his head now. And and I think it's a lot of young guys in there. Like, you know, you got the Yannicks, who I just talked about. You got Jalen Ramsey, who was in there. Uh, you got uh, guys like Telvin Smith. Uh, I, I think, you know, the next GM has to be very wary of uh, the players. And I'm not saying they're bad players, but the type of personalities that he's mixing into the locker room, I guess that's the best way to put it. Uh, so that being said, it, it, I think it starts with the, the GM personally. And to be honest with you, they need a GM that's um, that's not going to be involved in the locker room. Like, like I said, like hands-on kind of like Tom Coughlin that basically gets the right guys and makes the right guys into the locker room, but doesn't really have dealings with them until like maybe the off season where, you know, you bring everybody in and ask them, what did they think of the season? What could be better? This, that, and the other. Uh, so I, I think that's what would really help this team. And I think also they need a younger or a, a head coach that is better with uh, reaching out to the youth. That's why, I, me personally, I'm so big on Mike Tomlin. You know, I know people have seen me on Twitter say, Mike Tomlin this and Mike Tomlin that, why he would be a good fit. He's a he's a coach that I think relates to players very well. And I'm not saying you necessarily need a player's coach, but he's a guy that gets through to players, especially young ones. Um, he's a guy, and not saying he's going to get fired, but he's a guy that really, to how I see it, he really likes the Jags players or their personnel he bragged about them um many many years ago or what was that 2017 when we played them in the regular season and in uh, the playoffs he had nothing but good things to say about Ngakwe and you know at the time Fowler and Jalen Ramsey and Calais Malik Jackson all of those guys so but he's a guy that I think you know somebody yeah oh, those are good times. <laughs> he's a guy or somebody like him uh is a guy that I think that would really help this locker room paired with a GM uh, that knows how to mix the right personalities in the locker room. Well, I mean, now, I mean, early on, it looked like maybe Mike Tomlin was in danger, but look at them now. They're seven and five. They're, mm-hmm. They got a playoff spot. Uh, they got a guy whose nickname is <laughs> Duck as their quarterback, and they're still winning. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I, that's, I think that's a, that's the testament. That's everything you need to know right there about, yeah, about Mike Tomlin. Like, they will so, get shot I think, unfortunately, him, he's that team's playing <laughs> – yeah, I think unfortunately that team that team saved his job. I think uh, I can't remember who I was uh, who I was listening to it was on ESPN Radio, but they were talking about it. And yeah, I think if a player is uh, if players are invested in that coach and they know that their coach may be in danger of possibly losing their job, that affects their play because that that's that's they have a bond with that particular coach. That coach maybe saw something in them that they that somebody else didn't, and you know, and I I, I firmly believe. That those that that Steelers team is playing for Mike Tomlin right now, as much as they're yes. playing for each other. So unfortunately, unfortunately, that team played in <laughs> played their way into saving his job, and now we're we're not going to get right, the benefit right. from it. So um, we'll we'll see. So so what what do you what, what comments do you have about uh, the front or the, the coaching staff being upset about the level of talent that's being? Yeah, me and you talked about this in the car actually, man. I think that's preposterous, man. Like, and and not only that, but me personally. That's that's a case that it definitely needs to be burned down, in my opinion. But I I would not like a situation where my assistants are calling out the scouts. Uh, that that explains it why exactly why uh, Lampin or not Lampin, but AP Mark Long was saying that it's a toxic situation. You got assistants blaming the scouts in the front office, guys who uh, I don't know. I wouldn't say they necessarily don't have a lot of contact with, but still that's you you really don't really hear about that in any other organizations where you know the the 
coaches are pointing fingers at the scouts. And like, it's also preposterous in the sense that you look at what they're getting out of this 2017 class or 2019 class, man. And they're getting more production out of their class than pretty much any, any draft class out there, man. You look at it, go down the line. Uh, Josh Allen, currently holds the record for sacks in franchise history what is there to complain about with him nothing and the guys by the way is about to go to the pro bowl mm-hmm. you can't complain about anything Juwan taylor albeit he has a holding problem and he i think he has double digit holding penalties or, or penalties in general he's playing in all of the games at least and you know that's something that could be corrected with technique and time with the right coach, you know. And, of course, you know, rookies oftentimes at right tackle or left tackle like to hold because they're going to get superior athletes that, you know, they, they are learning how to deal with. And and in time, he could learn how to deal with these superior athletes at the defensive end position. Um, you got who was it in third? Uh, Quincy Williams, who, you know, albeit he's taking his lumps and he's coming from Murray State and, you know, it's a big – difference between that and playing in the NFL you gotten what roughly six starts out of him which is crazy to say the least now Josh Oliver he went on IR uh that's probably the one that's been right yeah the jury's still out on him but that's probably the one that you could say like uh that was a disappointment for now but look the kid's 21 he can come back next year and ball out whatever the case may be uh you shouldn't be expecting a lot out of a rookie tight end anyway because history says you're not going to get much out of that position anyway, as a, at least with a rookie. Um, Gardner Minshew, 4-4 four four as a starter. You know, he kept the team afloat while Nick Foles was gone. The team was a game under 500 when Nick Foles returned. Uh, what You can't really ask for much better other than being 500 or over 500. But granted, he was a six-round rookie. Uh, he kept the, the boat afloat pretty well for somebody of his status so you, you look at all of that man and it's like uh I, this coaching staff got to go you know uh because to point the fingers at the the scouting department probably isn't fair at this point and, and not to mention the scouting department has they they've made some good discoveries in the past as well i mean we'll never forget the 2016 class which, you know, Jalen's not here anymore, but that was a good haul right there in itself. Uh, and one that Tom Coughlin gets credit for when, in fact, the matter is it was Dave Caldwell's class. Uh, and you look at some of the other picks they made along the way or some of the other leads they've had along the way, and it's like, uh, yeah, I'm not feeling that. It's, it's just a matter that these guys, the assistants on the coaching staff, are uh, fearing for their job and they need somebody to blame. That's what it seems like to me. Yeah, because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't it your job to build up those players? Exactly. Like the scouts go get them and then you make them better, right? <laughs> isn't, that, <laughs> isn't that what your job right, is as right. a coach? I'm Correct me if I'm wrong here, Jay, but is that it, not what coaching is? As a scout, you go out, you find somebody with potential and you find somebody that you say, hey, the coaches on the staff can build this player up to become better. And we think he has potential. At that point, it's all in the coach's hand to do the rest. You know, the scouts, the scouts only could, you know, do the evaluation part of it. It's on the coaches to to get the the most out of the player after that. What if the scout had come? What if a scout had come out and said, like, well, you know, Quincy Williams is, or Josh Oliver is pretty good. We just don't have right. the right coaches. <laughs> there would be a mutiny. <laughs> like the, 
there, there, it would go nuts, like in that front. Like, it's just like, like you said, I think just uh, some somebody trying to save face, save their job or something. Because I mean, those comments were just like, uh, I mean, I've never really seen yeah, anything. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Phil. Like have you ever seen another team where the coaches are blaming the scouts? I haven't. Exactly. No. It just shows you what kind of a dumpster fire <laughs> no. we're dealing with here, man. Like, Shah Khan got to get it together, man. Like, the fact that that even got out, man, is like, Shah, man, you, the organization is looking like probably the worst in the league right now. And he, he has to fix it this offseason. Well, and this is one of those, and Jay, you might agree with this, this might be one of those times where we can be a little bit appreciative of the, of the fact that the Jags don't get a lot of media attention. Because <laughs> right. it's an absolute joke yeah. right now. And if this were happening with the Dallas Cowboys or the Pittsburgh mm-hmm. Steelers or somebody like that, it would be nonstop. Be we'd take, be talking man. about it nonstop. But since, exactly, but since we are, uh, since we kind of do... Uh, <laughs> Just lay low for the most part. Uh, luckily, it hasn't. Re- no one really is paying attention, which actually might be a good thing uh, for 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 once. So, um, but yeah, another thing we'll just have to continue to monitor. And honestly, I don't think anything is going to get better this season. You guys, uh, just want to for those of you Jaguar fans who are still maybe holding out hope. Uh, I, I think maybe you just gotta you just gotta buckle up and just get ready for a bumpy ride for the rest of the season because this is this is it. This is what we got, and and you just gotta hope. You just got to look forward to the off season and, and and hope that the necessary changes are made. So, last part here, Jay, before we get into talking about the actual game, um, was uh, something else that came out of this Lock and Fora article that we uh, forgot to address earlier on. Uh, but there are multiple league sources that have pointed to former Chiefs GM Scott Pioli and former Broncos head coach Josh McDaniels as possible candidates to come in and uh, replace, uh, of course, Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone. Jay, we did a little bit of research on Pioli before we got started. Wasn't really too much that stood out from his time there um, when he was with the Chiefs. I believe you said it was from, what, 09 to 12, yeah. something, something along those lines. Uh, they did have a, a solid playoff run with, well, not a playoff run, but a playoff appearance with Matt Castle. Um, some of the notable draft uh, draft picks they did have, Don Terry Poe, Justin Houston, uh, Eric Berry. Um, but, uh, you know, some bright spots, but also a lot of um, not so overwhelming picks as well. And then, of course, we know Josh McDaniel's history um, with uh, with the Broncos. And then, of course, last year, him deciding to uh, leave the Indianapolis Colts text on red <laughs> is what he decided to do uh, last season. Uh, so what do you think of those names? Like I said, we didn't know too much about Pioli, but he did have he was also there in the front office when the Falcons had their Super Bowl Super Bowl run. So you hear those names. What are your first thoughts? Uh, well, with the uh, with McDaniel's, it doesn't shock me the slightest bit because Shot Khan is probably going to look to go for the home run hire, if you will. Um, and in my opinion, because he all, he's all, he's into the flashy hires. We look at Tom Coughlin, who, by the way, if I can recall, Jason Lock and Fora, um, he was a little bit off. Uh, and, and, you know, the, his reports vary, by the way, but he was a little bit off last year or, or the year that we got Coughlin. Um, I think Jason Lockett for and don't quote me on this. I think he was reporting in December that we were uh, going to interview Coughlin for a coaching job. Uh, but it ended up being him, you know, us adding him as the EVP. So, uh, you know, he, he I'll say this uh, Lockett for uh, had a general clue that, you know, Tom Coughlin was going to come into the organization. So. 
uh, he he might be right about this. We'll, I guess only time will tell. But yeah, I could definitely believe him on the whole thing with McDaniel's because, like I said, he he wants to Shad Khan wants to go to the uh, for the flashy hire, the flashy hires, and and the thing about it is that that's what the fan base probably needs at this point because me and you just talked about it. A lot of us or a lot of the fans are now have now turned against him for the viability comments and the London comments. And now he needs to get them uh, back in his corner somehow. And what better way to do that than, I guess, to get somebody from the quote unquote, uh, the Patriots dynasty. So uh, they, they interviewed him. If I'm not mistaken, when they were looking for a head coach uh, the first time under Shad Khan, uh, but we ended up with Gus Bradley. Uh, and they, if I'm not mistaken, they interviewed him the second time we were looking for a coach when Bradley was fired. And we ended up getting uh, Doug Marone. So uh, I can see why they would be high on him. Uh, but I guess with the Marone situation, Marone allowed them to keep uh, trucking with Blake Bortles because we had Dave Caldwell as GM. So, you know, Doug Marone was a guy that liked Blake really wanted to see him develop so they just went with him over mcdaniels but um i would think like the mcdaniels interviews went well and uh, i can see why they would be high on him on peoli again uh when you look at the splashy hires or trying to build a dynasty you always look to the patriots that just seems like the most shot con, uh shot con thing to do is to look to the patriots and look for uh people from the patriots tree so uh, Pioli was with the Patriots for many, many years in the early 2000s before he became a GM with the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, so from that perspective, I can see why he would want him to. Um, I mean, like you said, we looked at his draft picks, wasn't overly impressing. You know, I'm a Falcons fan secondarily. I can recall some of the picks that were made there while he was the assistant. Um, I know they got, what was it, Takaris McKinley. I think the best class was the class where they got uh, – it was the class with Austin Hooper, uh, Keanu Neal, and it was one more guy missing uh, in that class. But uh, that was a pretty good class, those first three picks. But aside from that, man, it's not really overly impressive in terms of uh, making those splash draft picks. That I, You know, I'll admit, like, Dave Caldwell has made some splash draft picks, albeit some of them have fell to our lap. Uh, and I think the difference is, though, Pioli has been drafting – kind of in the back or in the middle of the first round so it's a little different uh and, and you know i guess it would look a little underwhelming if you will when comparing uh the the picks he's made to dave caldwell yeah uh josh to start with, with the josh daniels i'm you you and i talked about this before we started we even though it was the colts not a fan of no. how he handled that not at um, all at all that's not how you do uh it was um yeah, really wild to see that go down. Um, the, the problem here is who, who is the splashy hire that you can make with a team that may not be as you know uh, as, as 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 sexy a choice as say the Cowboys who might be making right. a choice you know maybe making a coaching change because you, with the Cowboys you hear names like Urban Meyer and um, Lincoln Riley you know names like that. Names that are not going to come mm -hmm. to Jacksonville. So, if if Josh McDaniels is your you know Shad Khan's idea of a of a you know a big sexy hire, that's probably about as good as it's going to get. Um, you and I threw around the uh, you you specifically Jay have thrown out the name Greg Roman. Um, of course, we see the 
we see the um, success that Lamar Jackson uh, is having there in in Baltimore, having an MVP season, and um, that's a name that you've thrown out there a lot. But I think, of course, uh, as we mentioned uh, also before we started, you have to pair him with the right guy, with the right quarterback. And I don't think Greg Roman and Gardner Minshew is necessarily the pairing that uh, <laughs> that that he would want. Um, so you'd probably have to go out and get a guy right. um, that could match Greg Roman's strengths. You know, so uh, is is there a guy that you have in mind uh, outside of Greg Roman that could possibly be on their radar here in these? You know, these this early stage. Yeah. Um. Again, it's Tomlin, but it's looking like that ain't gonna happen. Uh, and personally, for the GM, I'll start with GMs. Um, I would like Mike Barngazi from the uh, Kansas City Chiefs because they've shown us everything they touch is gold, basically. And you you see all of these guys from their branches just go off and have this success. Uh, Doug Peterson, who necessarily isn't from the front office, but he went over had success uh, with the um, the the Philadelphia Eagles. The, um, Chris Ballard, the GM from uh, that's with the Colts right now, doing an excellent job. By the way, making great draft picks. Uh, he he went over to the Colts. They got him from Kansas City. Uh, uh, Dorsey, who was fired, John Dorsey was fired, but he went over to the Browns. And albeit the Browns aren't coming together. Uh, I believe it's not because of the front office decisions. I believe it's because of coaching. I just think they got the wrong coach there. But you look at what what Dorsey did over there in the course of a year, man, getting Jarvis uh, Landry and Odell Beckham and, you know. Yeah, man, like they, they're and, supposed to be uh, way better than they are. And I just think that. And, and look out for them when they do get the right coach because then that's they're yeah, going to be a exactly. problem. Exactly. They are one good coach, one good staff, should I say, in terms of a coach's staff, away from being very good. So you look at that, man. I would love Mike over here with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I've, I've listened to his interviews. Uh, he's a guy that I definitely think a shotgun should look at. I don't know if he will or, or who they got listed on their candidates list. But, um, yeah, if he came, he would – probably want somebody from the Kansas City coaching staff as well. So uh, Eric, and I hope I'm saying this right, Belenemy is uh, he's basically the understudy uh, for uh, Coach Andy Reid, basically. He's the his assistant, if you will. Uh, was the running backs coach for them many, many years. Now is the offensive coordinator. Uh, but when you read up on him as a, as a coach, like one of the things that kind of stood out to me is that He's kind of like a hard-nosed coach, no-nonsense coach. But at the same time, like, players gravitate towards him, and they love him. And they say he's a very good teacher as well. I mean, obviously, he's a very good teacher. Although he doesn't call the plays for the offense in Kansas City, you can look at the development of Patrick Mahomes, look at the development of Tyreek Hill on the field. Uh, You can look at the development of um, even when Kareem Hunt was there on the field, he was developing as a good running back. Uh, They got a plethora of weapons, Travis Kelsey, uh, this, that, and the other. So that being said, I think Eric Bellinamy, uh, would be a good hire in my opinion. Uh, but again, like that, that deal with him not really calling plays kind of concerns me, but I guess, uh, we'll save that for a later podcast of a, a, a cold, hard, concrete list of guys that, uh, the Jags should look at. Yeah. So maybe a name that you guys want to keep an eye out, uh, an eye out on. And just like you mentioned, you know, that, 
that Chiefs tree may be becoming the new Patriots tree. You know, uh, see, we seem to be straying away a little bit from uh, everything that Sean McVay touches <laughs> right. and and going in a different direction because uh, it seems like perhaps the league has caught up to him. Uh, and that's a conversation right. for another time. Uh, but uh, also, hey, Jalen, uh, <laughs> careful right. what you wish oh, for. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but no, it, but yeah, um, I think it would be very important to get a guy in here that uh, that's going to c- just – really command the room and and we have to get rid of this notion where players don't know who's in charge that's that is a right, huge right. problem so hopefully whoever they bring in will uh, be able to clear that up right away um but yeah so you know that's just a couple another thing we wanted to address from that lock and four article uh and then we'll get into uh here last but uh certainly not least uh was the uh the game yesterday um in which we saw the Jags fall to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in a battle of four and seven juggernauts. Right, right. <laughs> um, of course, for, for so uh, supremacy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. I guess. I mean, Miami played pretty pretty dang well yesterday. They may have looked like the best team in Florida yesterday. They right. played pretty well uh, under the uh, under the guise of uh, of uh, the, the Fitz magic that continues to uh, present itself. But um, shout out really quick to. Um, yeah, to uh, our uh, contributor here, uh, Robert, for for calling this out at um, in his uh, in his prediction. You know, for those of you who don't know, we uh, all the contributors here at the Jaguars Wire, we put out our predictions uh, right before the game comes out. Um, he wasn't uh, necessarily too close in terms of the actual score, uh, but one of his the the last line he put in here was that um, uh, predict that Nick Foles will struggle, which could lead to him getting benched in favor of Gardner Minshew in this game. And lo and behold, <laughs> that's exactly what happened. Uh, Nick Foles, uh, f- for his stat line, went 7-14 for 93 yards and an interception. And as we mentioned earlier, just a really bad one, too. Uh, just seeing it live really just made you smack yourself on the forehead. Uh, Leonard Fournette couldn't get going. 14 carries, 38 yards. Uh, D.D. Westbrook, 5 catches, 60 yards, and the lone touchdown reception. Um, he also had a very, very solid punt return in the game as well, right in the middle of that attempted Minshew rally that came up just a little bit short. Chris Conley, four catches, 57 yards, nine catches, 53 yards for Leonard Fournette. So if you have Leonard on your fantasy team and you're in a PPR, uh, he did pretty well. He got you at least nine <laughs> points on <laughs> for the catches, um, but not a lot else going on. DJ Chark, two catches, 47 yards, did have a uh, did have a drop uh, as well. D.D. Westbrook, uh, as a uh, didn't mention before also had the um i don't know if you call it a drop he definitely should have caught it though um that was in the end zone um that effectively uh ended the jaguars comeback bid and then Gardner Minshew uh once he got into the game 16 to 27 147 yards a touchdown and an interception and let me tell you jay the energy in the building uh completely changed and i honestly thought that uh after halftime that the building was going to empty out even more so than it already was, but I think I think people had some kind of sense that maybe we would see Minshew. So I don't know how it happened, but it looked like there were more people in the stadium in the second half. <laughs> wow, we're in the first half, which you usually don't see, especially when we're in the uh, when we're losing pretty poorly. 
Um, but I mean, look, the Jaguars won the second half when Minshew got in there. Uh, unfortunately, they were not able to overcome the deficit that uh, not that Nick Foles and the offense uh, um, put them in. Um, but we usually go good, bad, and ugly. Wasn't a lot of good to talk about. I mean, if you want to point something out, I guess the team did seem to get a little bit of a burst uh, from Minshew when he did come in. And then, of course, Josh Allen uh, getting that rookie record. But um, if you didn't want to point out any positives, Jay, uh, here's your chance. <laughs> um, well, I only saw the second half. I listened to the first half on the radio, most of it, at least. But you were up- updating me on the first half. But uh I guess the positives I took from what I saw was uh, the reserves that had to play uh, for Miles Jack and Ronnie Harrison. Ronnie Harrison had a concussion last week uh, against the Titans, and then um, Miles Jack had the knee issue. Uh, Donald Payne, now, albeit he wasn't perfect, led the team in tackles. And we're talking about somebody we just signed off the street like a month or so ago. And, I mean, he played with the Jaguars prior to assigning him off the street so he had the history with us uh, but 13 tackles let the team in tackles uh i guess some people will say that depends on like how how the tackles were made if that's a good thing or a bad thing but let the team in tackles almost had an interception uh if i can recall i heard on the radio and um, i think they they took that back uh had a sack had a tackle for loss he was just super active uh, at that middle linebacker position for Miles Jack. And um, he's somebody to watch going forward. And then Andrew Wingard, who uh, he had a real rough game against the Titans, man. But uh, he made plays as well as a backup. Um, caused a forced fumble. Also had a sack. Uh, had a tackle for loss. I guess that was the um, forced fumble, if I'm not mistaken. And he was second on the team with seven tackles. So those who combine for 20 tackles together, man, which is just ridiculous in itself. So, uh, you know, we got some reserves stepping up and when you're heading towards a rebuild, which is what the Jaguars likely are heading towards, oftentimes depth is the problem with teams that are being rebuilt. Uh, but those two guys that you make and build upon in terms of, you, you know, guys behind the starters, uh, in the future. Um, so I'll be watching them, uh, within uh, the the next uh, what is it three or so games that's left on the schedule? Yeah, and actually, you know what? Forgive me for leaving out the defense because it, it's, speaking of Wingard, I mean, uh, first off, he's not hard to miss out there on the field with his long, flowing, beautiful <laughs> right. hair. But right, he was all over the place, man. I mean, every time I looked up, it seemed like he was involved in the play. Now, sometimes those plays were a little bit farther down the field than you would right. like them to be. But yeah, he did have a he would like I said he was all over the place. So um, it was nice to see him. And then uh, Gerard Wilson seven tackles as well. You know, for a guy that apparently the coaching staff seems to be complaining about. He played you know he played pretty pretty decently. Um, did see uh, unfortunately um, uh, more uh, more more struggles from Trey Herndon. I mean they they were making and I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but they were making Brashad uh, Perriman, uh, whoever I don't know who drafted him. I think it was Ozzie Newsom, yeah. right? Because he was in. He was in uh in, in, in Baltimore. The great yeah, Ozzie so he Newsom, made by the way. I mean Ozzie Newsom is already, yeah, exactly, a Hall of Famer, already amazing, but you know, everybody misses. He made Newsom, at least for that game, look like a <laughs> genius. You know, I mean, more of a genius than he already is, because Perriman was eating us up, man. It was it was ridiculous. But um as far as the positives, uh, at least it, it's some some more of the good. Like I said, it's it's definitely just a different energy. 
when when Gardner is in the game, and I don't know what it is, and, and this just you can really just go off the eye test when you're not actually down there on the field in the locker room. But it just seems like Gardner has a much more much more control of this offense. It seems like his team, the team, trusts him more. Um, I, I I totally forgot that this was Foles' first home game since hurting himself because his other home game was right. in London. No, so no, wait, no, they, you know, I, right? That's right. Not um, the since uh, so yeah, since his, so his first real home game then, yeah, his first true home game, right? Yes, yeah, or since his first one, since the first game where he got hurt. So honestly, if he didn't come out and light the world on fire, he he was playing from behind to begin right. with. Right. So he needed to really come out and set the world on fire, and he did the exact opposite of that. I mean, it was very reminiscent of the very first time that Bortles came in because we were getting just destroyed by the Colts, and Henny was, you know, uh, Bortles was going to have, you know, this redshirt year, and Henny's our guy. And then they came out, and, you know, they were getting just blasted at home and at halftime they threw Blake Bortles in it was very yeah, similar to that but, but I'm telling you Jay I'm telling you man the roar of the crowd when when Minshew got up started throwing <laughs> passes under center from uh, and then walked into the game I I was so mad because I actually got it on on my on Instagram but I accidentally deleted the Damn. video <laughs> before I could post it I know but so my hand slipped and I accidentally hit the wrong button trying to save it but the energy in the stadium was just electric, and it's it's very telling, man. For a team that's four and four and eight now was at the time four and seven, for the city to rally around that guy. I mean, like I said, I think it's just an easy win to put him in and let him struggle where he's going to struggle. But people just have gravitated towards him, and yeah, he may not have an actual, you know, a, a, a solid win against a, a good team. Uh, why just just put the guy in and let him play and let him create and you know that's that that's really all you can all you can really do um you know so as far as uh, positives at least you know we they we were able to to take that away so as far as the uh, uh the bad though Jay I mean there's <laughs> I don't even know you can really start wherever you want here so where were the uh what was the bad uh in terms of this matchup man. with the uh with the bucks i don't even like <laughs> you said i where do I, I start man i mean like you already covered for you pretty much covered the bad which was foes uh, there was a lot of drops too if i can recollect correctly too so they ain't never they, the receivers ain't exactly helping out either but uh, that's becoming a, a uh, excuse me, by the way, uh, a concern and problem with uh, the Jaguars receivers. It, and I think last year they had a pretty, they were either first and second in drop rate last year too. So uh, that's something that even if you put Minshew in, you know, you can't fix that. So I guess we'll we'll monitor that heading forward. But yeah, man, foes just, uh, the offense just under him looks lethargic. And again, just going back to what I kind of said, I don't want to repeat myself, but you know, he doesn't offer much in the pocket, and it was just it looks it looked terrible on the field. I mean, it, all of the games that he's pretty much played in have been just hard to watch in general offensively. So that he was the bad, the drops were bad. Um, I can't really aside from that. Those are the two that's really sticking out in my mind right now. Um, 
the defense in the first half was pretty bad, by the way. Trey Herndon, as you said, kind of struggled with Perryman, especially. Uh, hopefully, we, you know, with this cornerback class that's coming up, we could fix that in the draft, especially with two first round picks. But uh, yeah, he didn't look all that good either. But I will say the defense did kind of. Uh, hold their own in the second half they only allowed three points if I'm not mistaken in the second half so I don't know if Todd Watch lit a fire under him or whatever the case may be Uh, but they answered the call in the second half and uh, it was just that like you said the deficit was just too difficult to come from um, after being down initially what was uh, 25 to 0 that's just a huge deficit for Gardner to come in um, just randomly in the middle of the game and try and uh, make it happen. Although he did uh, make strides towards it, ultimately it was to no avail. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like I said, not, not to just continue what on, on what I said, just with Bashar Perriman looking and, 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 and I think I think one thing that's probably frustrating, I would assume being a Bucks fan, is every once in a while, Jameis has these games where he looks like, oh, yep, that's the guy. He is he is our guy. And I think what a lot of people don't know, I think people are very aware of Mike Evans. You know, he's he's a he's an excellent player, um, one of the best receivers in the league. A lot of people don't talk about Godwin, Charles Godwin. He is a really really good receiver. Mm-hmm. And and then also and then when you throw OJ Howard in the mix when he's playing well and then when Jameis is firing on all cylinders as he was for for most of the game yesterday now we mentioned they weren't able to really score in the second half uh, when when those things are going they're they're a solid offense you know they they've got their problems they got their issues um, but uh, I think. I would assume, and I would like to maybe talk to a Bucks fan, or you know, maybe someone from the Bucks wire, and and think, you know, do they maybe want to Jameis to not have these kind of games so it's easier to just move right, on? You right. know, like I don't. I, that's got to be frustrating. It reminds us a lot of, you know, reminds me a lot of when when Blake was here and he went through that stretch, uh, that three four game stretch. We were like, holy crap! Yeah, is, your boy is, was playing that league, bro. Is he turning the corner? <laughs> if he, is he turning the corner, is he the guy? And then of course, you know, he just. Uh, eventually Blake bortled out but um yeah I mean just I think just making the bad is just making a a, a subpar team uh look like one of the better teams in the league which unfortunately in, in the history of the Jaguars we have a, a a tendency to do that's that's definitely the bad um and then just the downright slapping in the face kick you out of the room ugly uh <laughs> Jay what what uh, I have something in mind but uh what what was really just gross to watch yesterday for you oh uh, no i, w- I want to hear what you got for ugly real quick all right <laughs> so <laughs> and this is something that eric and i are our, our buddy eric and i have talked about in depth i am just i'm just i'm going to these games for for years since since the team came into inception and have been through the good and the bad as a lot of you have i'm sure i'm so sick and tired of letting the fan bases of other teams come in and gloat right in our faces. I'm sick of it. I, I, I hate it. Um, especially when it's a, a franchise like, and, and no offense, guys, and, and no disrespect, it, although this is a little disrespectful. <laughs> it's the Buccaneers, right. okay? It's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, all right? They had that, that nice run, you know, when they won a Super Bowl, They but you can make the argument they should have won much more, <laughs> many more Super Bowls, at least one more probably. Um, but 
I mean, come on. I mean, it's it's the Buccaneers. You let that fan base come up here, uh, you know, f- four hours north and have themselves the day that they, they did. I mean, let me tell you, luckily, I can tell you from just from being there, Bucks fans, they aren't really, they are, gonna, of course, for every fan base, going to be that obnoxious fan. For most, for the most part, the Buccaneers fans around me were pretty. They they were realists and they understood. Hey, we both suck, but you got to take the wins when you can get them because you don't get to celebrate right. many. <laughs> you know that that was their mindset, and I respected that. And they were nice fans, but you can't. I'm I'm so sick of just letting that fan base come in and and make fun of our chants and 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 make fun of you know our team and and all this stuff. It's sickening, and that's why it's ugly to me. Because it's gross. I hate it. I, I I really hate it because I love this team, and I know a lot of you guys love this team too. And and I think it, I think I don't know if you saw this tweet. It was from Cap. Uh, that that's that really made me think because I thought about this on the Shout way out, out of the Cap stadium. Captain Tim, by the way. And I saw <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we saw we we saw them at uh um shoot. Why am I blanking? A wicked the, name uh, of the place where we went to now. Yeah. Wicked Barley. Wicked Barley over here on uh, in in Jacksonville on Bay Meadows. Um, we went and got uh, got some nice uh, got some nice uh, Duval till we till we die uh, shop swag. So make sure you check them out. But yeah, I, I saw him put out a, a very interesting tweet because I I thought about this on the way out when I saw the faces of some of these kids that are going to these games. And I was we were actually sitting next to a kid who's probably about nine or ten years old next to us, maybe maybe a little bit younger. But these, I mean, just seeing the look on their faces because. They've seen this team win one season. They got a little bit of a taste right. of it. You know, we can still we're still lucky enough to remember the 90s and the early 2000s. We still have that, but they do not have that, all right? These so these kids they only know that the Jaguars are losers. That's all they know. And they're the next generation of fan, all right? And they that's very important to the health and longevity of this team. You know, that, that that's who's going to be rooting for this team 10, 15, 20 years down the road. And like we've already talked about in the beginning segment, we continue to put out this crap product. Those kids are going to go find another team mm-hmm. to root for. All right. But what if what if what if that kid was like, oh, my God, Jameis Winston's much better than Nick Foles. I like Jameis Winston yesterday. And all of a sudden he doesn't care about the Jaguars anymore. He wants to go root for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I wouldn't blame him off of based off of yesterday's performance. You know, or him or her, you know. So what's ugly to me is these fan, like the opposing team's fan base coming in and getting to just essentially laugh in our faces um, because we have been that laughing stock in the league. And then also just seeing those kids that are just so desperate to have a winning team and have something to root for. Uh, but they they just continue to be uh, left out in the cold. That's uh, it, it's just not fun to see. I, I hate it. Yeah, well, the ugly for me, and it's kind of going back to Nick Foles, and when he was playing, it just kind of dawned on me. What's ugly is the ridiculous, absurd amount of money that we spent in the last two, three years or so at the quarterback position and the return we've gotten out of that money. Uh, Blake Bortles' contract was what, twenty six point five million in guarantees, and Nick Foles is is like what fifty in guarantees. So what we looking at here, roughly seventy five million dollars in guarantees, and it's just it's it's uh, it's horrible to see all of that money going down the drain cap wise and 
the the product that we've been able to put on the field at the quarterback position, how bad it has looked at the quarterback position. And I think, you know, it kind of goes back to uh, what me and Phil and Jacob have been saying for many, many years. You know, yeah, it's been some hits that Tom Coughlin has had. But uh, the thing that people praise Tom Coughlin for was being a quarterback whisperer. And since, I mean, I guess you could say uh, Minshew's kind of panning out. But then again, they didn't expect Minshew to be what he is. So I don't know if you can give them that. Uh, But Tom Coughlin came in here to be a quarterback whisperer. And yet we've thrown all of this money down the toilet trying to get it right at the quarterback position. And we've had arguably two of the worst quarterbacks in, in the franchise's history in terms of starters uh, since his, uh, since he's been the executive VP. So for me, the ugly is, uh, yeah, the $75 million that we've thrown down the drain at quarterback and, uh, you know, having the fans sit through and watch uh the play at the the most important position on the field at that and probably the most important position in in sports period uh but yet we've gotten stuck with the two guys as of late that we have in uh Blake Bortles and well Blake Bortles is no longer with us but the two starters that we've had in recent history and Nick Foles and Blake Bortles and it hasn't been pretty to say the least Yeah, and uh, you know we'd be interested to hear what you guys think. You know, what's what's your ugly, uh, your good, bad, and the ugly? What what were your takeaways? Um, you know, you guys have never shied away from letting us know how you feel. So, like I said, let us let let us know. Let the team know. Uh, make sure that Shad Khan knows. You know, and uh, Shad is not on is not on Twitter, but Tony Khan is very active on social media, and uh, he just he does seem like a guy that pays mm-hmm. attention. And I'll just put that out there. So he's he may be a guy that's uh, ultimately going to have a lot of uh, a lot of say in what's going to come next for this team. Um, but yeah, Jay, uh, next uh, we are on to uh, who do we Chargers. got next? The Chargers, yeah. I believe. The uh, the Chargers who, um, <laughs> when uh, even if even when Philip Rivers is struggling, I can tell you one thing: he loves playing the Jaguars. <laughs> so we'll see uh, what happens. Uh, as they go out to, um, you know, uh, oh, as they as they come out, uh, come here. Uh, the good news is for those of you who are, that are going to the game. I mean, it's a four o'clock start, so I mean, at least you got some extra time to, to tailgate. Maybe you get um, a little extra drinks in there, and then you don't right. think about the game so much. I mean, um, responsibly, responsibly. I just want to say the Jaguars wire and the Jags end do support support responsible yeah, drinking. Yeah, we do, <laughs> of course. <laughs> want to put that want to put that disclaimer out there. Um, but yeah, Jay, so we'll wrap up there. Um, we'll just keep the countdown going till the, uh, till, till Black Monday is really going to be the most important day uh, of our season and see what happens. Um, but tell them what we, uh, what they have looking forward to, what we're working on, and uh, then we will get out of here. Oh, yeah. And also, this is uh, another Gus Bradley homecoming. So there's that with the Chargers game. Uh, that you didn't mention, but um, yeah, in terms of um, what we got coming on content, you know, we're going as hard as it is uh, for the rest of the today, Monday, the second of December. Uh, look back on the game, get some more content on the game, uh, most of which was bad. So, I mean, it's not going to be a lot of uh, sunshine pumping out there in terms of the content. But uh, after that, Tuesday, we'll move on to the Chargers, uh, who I believe got the same have the same record as us 
and uh, we'll, we'll be scouting them and uh, learning the ins and outs and, and posting the ins and outs of them as well. And, uh, you know, we'll also have some um, some stuff Jags related, of course, uh, as they are struggling and trying to find their way from a what now four game skid. Is it Phil? That yeah, is correct. So, yep. Um, yeah. Our last win was against the Jets, who just lost to the winless Bengals. So <laughs> <laughs> shout out to the Bengals. They Those finally are... got, got one on the board. <laughs> shout out to the Bengals. And shout out to that restaurant owner. I don't know if I talked about it on this podcast, but there was a restaurant owner, I believe, in Indiana that was living on the roof of his building of the of his restaurant until the Bengals won a game. So hopefully he is able to come down and rejoin us <laughs> here in civilization, as it has been a long wait for that guy and uh, one person that is watching very intently, uh, paying attention to the Cincinnati Bengals maybe Joe Burrow. So he maybe hopes that Cincinnati rattles off a few more wins. Because right. <laughs> I don't know if that's where – no offense to Cincinnati. I don't know if that's where Joe Yo, Burrow wants I, to uh, wants to. I would like that, to but. kind of see it from this sense. Uh, you know, they, they got Zach Taylor, the um, – uh, is he the – yeah, the coach. But I'm trying to think what tree – from the Sean McVay. He's a Sean McVay disciple. So he's a – He's a younger guy, 36. He's not much more older than us, to be honest with us. Uh, 36 years of age. Mm-hmm. That pairing might be pretty interesting, but we'll see. Yeah. With the right tools, and, you know, A.J. Green is getting getting older, and he's uh, we, we probably won't see him at all this season, which I think is probably for the best for him anyway. Um, but, yeah, we will see uh, plenty – uh, the the good thing is when the Jags, you know, even though the season we're having, it is still going to be uh, a very interesting home stretch, to say the least, for the rest of the league. So at least we'll have something else uh, to watch. <laughs> of course, make sure you check out the site at jaguarswire.usatoday.com. That's where you'll find all your up-to-date Jaguars news. Uh, you can find the podcast on and the site also on Twitter at the Jaguars Wire and the Jags Den Podcast. And of course, we're also on Facebook. Uh, find Jay at sportsgrind underscore Don, myself at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I, P-I-N-O, and our colleague Jacob at underscore J Della. Make sure you're checking out the podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That is one of the best ways you can support us. And then, of course, we are on that Audio Boom Network, thanks to USA Today. Jay, there is a new hashtag that is uh, sweeping Jaguar Twitter. Have you seen it? I don't know if you have, have uh, I have been able seen to it, see and I'm backing yet. up the breach truck right now to pay Yon. Hashtag it. <laughs> Oh, no. What's the new one? No, there's actually a new one. There's a new one. So, of course, hashtag Payon, but there is a new hashtag that is sweeping. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know where this one is going. Go ahead. FTMLS. And if you don't know what that stands for, FTMLS, it is far too many long Sundays. And, Jay, I can tell you, yesterday... I had a very, very long Sunday and did not have a great time. So <laughs> let's hope that this team writes the ship. Guys, thanks so much for uh, listening to the Jags Den podcast. We will see you next time. Hashtag pay yawn. Peace. Everybody stay safe. See you guys later.